What's up everybody, Mitch Michaels here. It's time for another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. Today's show is strictly phenomenal, if I do say so myself. Sean Sullivan's gonna come in and talk college football. Michigan, Ohio State was a thriller. We'll get into what the playoff picture would look like. Recap rivalry week. A lot of big games there. You're not going to miss what Sully Ball has to say. Balls, uh, he's got a lot to say about Tennessee. We'll put it that way. And then Ryan Souls is going to come on. My good buddy Ryan from the Windy City is going to Skype in to talk. A little NFL action. Week 12 in the books. Thanksgiving games were great. We'll recap the Cowboys 10 straight. And some other big, big games there. Teams rising to the top now. Raiders keep winning. Chiefs win again. A lot of good NFL stuff to talk about there. It's the Money Mitch Effect. Mitch Michaels. And we got a great show. Let's get to it. All right. Joining us now on the show, frequent guest of the podcast, college football extraordinaire, Sean Sullivan. Sully, thanks for rejoining the Money Mitch Effect. No doubt about it, man. Always have a pleasure out here. Glad I could join you. We got one week left. College Football Conference Championships and some other games this weekend. We're going to recap what was an extraordinary rivalry week. But before we do that, I just I feel like we should probably just kind of say something uh, briefly. We're recording this on a Monday morning. Um, the terrible stories going on right now at Ohio State with the shooter on campus. It's tough. You know, obviously this is, you know, we're a white show. We talk sports and kind of joke around obviously we're thinking about all the people there so we just wanted to offer our support kind of go with that and um, I mean it's an awful situation we're going to try to just brighten everyone's day by talking some sports but I know I, I felt like yeah, I needed exactly. to say Couldn't something yeah. yeah trying to talk through a high state game and not the not the shooter that's, mm-hmm. that's a tough situation but and uh, definitely prayers go out to everybody in Columbus right now so Sully let's start with the Ohio State Michigan game which was uh an interesting state of affairs for a lot of people who are invested, myself included. But the Buckeyes get the win in double overtime, 30-27. to 27. A lot of emotion in this game, a lot of ups and downs for both teams. But it's Ohio State that extends the dominance in the rivalry in recent memory with a 30-27 to 27 win. From your perspective watching this game, what was it like to just see the different mood changes and how the game was going? I couldn't quite put my finger on where this game was going, but we all knew we were on such a wild ride watching it. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. Isn't it awesome, though, to watch a game and have two huge teams and there's so much build-up to it, but it actually lived up to its billing. So many right. times we're let down mm-hmm. uh, going into a huge game where it's a stinker, but this is awesome. This is two really good teams going back and forth and yeah from an outside looking in that uh, obviously know a lot about the rivalry but yeah that, that's what I took away from it was this is this is an awesome game you got to feel for Michigan it, it seems throughout that first half they really had to control the game but we're just trying to lose it with the pick six Wilson Spade throwing another pick and then the fumble on the one yard line about to score but yeah you got to give JT Barrett and Ohio State credit couldn't get it done through the air so he got he got over 100 yards on the ground and yeah they're able to take advantage of Michigan's Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts, as you might imagine, on this game. And you're exactly right. The rivalry every year, deservedly so, it's built up as one of the best. But it doesn't always live up to the hype. This year, 2 versus 3, 10-year anniversary of 1 versus 2. And just like that year, it lived up to the hype when these teams play. You're exactly right in the fact that Michigan was controlling the game early. 
But and I got the sense mm-hmm. that they weren't sure. You know, they weren't sure what they wanted to do. They were kind of caught in between. Do we just milk, run the ball, kind of play ultra conservative, and milk the clock? They started passing it, and that's what got Ohio State back in the game. Now I'm thinking before we get to Ohio State, Sully, that I'm thinking Michigan, while they're going to be kicking themselves over the fact that they lost this game, in the back of their mind, the only justification for throwing the ball in your defense started as dominant as they do, as they did, is that they kept worrying that Ohio State would eventually snap out of it. I don't know that they thought yeah. for four quarters they could keep JT Barrett and company down, and, and honestly, they didn't when we got into the later stages of this game. Right, yeah, fourth quarter, fourth quarter, the run game started going especially at overtime, obviously, busting the big one for the, for the game winner. And Michigan, a hell of a defense. Ohio State definitely got the better end of them uh, there towards the end of the game, besides the game. You know, Spate, from his perspective for Michigan, 219 yards, two touchdowns, <laughs> but it's those picks that he's going to remember for a very long time. I also thought, too, from the Ohio State standpoint, that the struggles of their kicker, man, that almost ruined everything Ooh. for their playoff chances. Now, there were calls, obviously, that went against Michigan's way, and we're going to get to that in a second. But Ohio State's kicking, man. If they they don't miss a couple of those field goals, this game doesn't even go to overtime. No, no. And uh, I don't know where your head's at, but got to give them a little credit coming back. What's going through your mind? You you missed a 30-yarder and a 22-yarder earlier in the game. you got to around that range to send it into overtime alone. (laughs) <laughs> uh, give credit to the guy to, to, to bounce back and hit that last one. But, man, yeah, you got to fix that before you get, get into the playoffs. <laughs> the next month, he's going to be sitting there kicking 500 kicks a day. Meyer's going to be watching every one of them like a hawk. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're going to be playing some tight games here in the near future. You can't trot out your kicker and be, be nervous about a 22-yarder. And you knew if he would have missed that last one, that would have been, uh, he would have been remembered for a long time for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. I'll just, I'll put it that way. I do want to adjust, you know, it was a great gutsy performance by JT Barrett, Samuels touchdown, but the run before the touchdown, Sully, to make it two plays before that, the fourth and manageable. How big of a play was that? If he gets sacked, if he gets tackled on the right side of the field, we're looking at fourth and 12, fourth and maybe 15. Yeah, and it, that was that was an incredible play. That's gonna be the play that's forgotten about because of that fourth down play. Yeah. You know, what are your thoughts on that? And obviously, Harbaugh in his post game press conference wasn't happy because he came straight out and said, "I'm disappointed in the refereeing <laughs> from my angle across the field, as it were." Yeah, I think they made the right call on the field. Well, you know, and I'll try to put this as as mildly as possible as someone invested as a fan of the Ohio State program. Mm-hmm. First of all, they're not going to overturn that spot in any level of football. There's not conclusive evidence. So the call on the field is going to be the call on the field. And I I think it could have gone Michigan's way, I'll be perfectly honest, but it looked like it was a first down, and that is always what happens. It seems to be what happens in these games, is that when it is close, they kind of, I don't want to say Ty gives it to the runner, but the spot generally is more generous to the offense. We saw that on Monday Night Football, Texans and Raiders which was a more outrageous spot, in my opinion. Harbaugh came, <laughs> off, Harbaugh came off a little bit as a whiner, which isn't a surprise. While I have respect for him as a coach and his passion, I don't know that he makes those comments. I, I pretty much know for a fact he doesn't make those comments if, he, if they win the game. I thought the pass interference call could have gone their way that they didn't call on Ohio State in overtime, but 
they weren't going to get both those calls. He was asking for the uncatchable ball in regulation, and I, I don't know, quite frankly, what he was looking at there. I thought he could have caught that ball to Ohio State receiver. But, no, it, you know what? Those are breaks are part of the game, and I would be remiss to say that it doesn't happen to every team. It does. You're going to get bad calls against you. It's part of the game. Michigan has a lot to look at for losing this game. That's part of it. But if they don't throw those two picks, if they come up with timely stops, if they get their run game going a little earlier when they have the lead, I think it, it is a different outcome. But those are the plays that define the season. And Ohio State, fortunately for them, they made them. Yeah, exactly, man. Yeah, like I said earlier, though, I'm, I'm just glad this game was as juicy as, as possible. First overtime game in, in history of this <laughs> rivalry, which is kind of mind-blowing to me. That was an amazing game and one for the ages for sure. So now here we are going forward, and we're doing this on Monday. The playoff ranking will come out tomorrow, but we still got a lot of time. we yep. still got two rankings left to go. Without getting into the specifics of every team right now, the Big Ten's shaping up, Sully, for a pretty interesting debate because Ohio State now, going into the game ranked number two, is going to finish the year with four wins in either the top ten or the top fifteen and a loss to a top ten or to probably a top ten team, top fifteen if Penn State falls out. But they're not going to go to the Big Ten championship game. Wisconsin and Penn State, two top ten teams are. What's going to happen with the playoff picture are we going to see two Big Ten teams, or is somebody going to get snubbed here? Uh, I think they're both going to get snubbed. Barring a loss by Washington or Clemson in their respective title games, I think both those, but Wisconsin and Penn State are going to be on the outside looking in. Bama's obviously the, the, even if they lose to Florida, they're still going to make it. They're in. Ohio State's sitting without a game plan. There's no way you're going to leave them out. Clemson's in at this point. They have to play the tough Virginia Tech team in that title game, but they're third. You can't drop them for beating the, the heck out of a South Carolina team. Yeah. Washington, oh, my gosh, they look so impressive against Wazoo. Who saw that coming? Uh. On the road. And just dominated that from the get-go, from the absolute get-go. They're not going to drop. you got to give them credit, too. They're going to play a very tough Colorado team in that Pac-12 title game. They, they come out with a W, another or a top-10 W in that. There's no way, so... Yeah, um, it, it's funny how it's funny how it looked. <laughs> Two weeks ago, we were saying Washington's out, Penn State, Wisconsin's going to find their way in. But I just, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I'm with you on this. Ohio State is going to be in the game. I don't know how, after beating the three team in the country, not playing a game they could drop <laughs> out of the top four. I yeah. mean, that would be quite a no fall. Yeah. You know, we've kind of seen this precedent before. I know, Pete. There's the argument that has some merit that the conference champions should be. Should, should mean something and should get you into that game. But, look, this isn't last year where Michigan State and Ohio State had the same number of losses. That's what I keep coming back to. Penn State and Michigan have lost two games. I know Penn State's beaten Ohio State, but they've also gotten stumped by Michigan and beat by Pitt. You know, Wisconsin, I kind of give a little more merit to because they lost to both Ohio State and Michigan in close one-score games, but it's still that extra loss. So I don't see a way that they could get in unless, as you said, Washington or Clemson were to stumble. It's going to be an interesting debate going forward, and I think it's a little more interesting in Penn State's case, solely just because in the head-to-head they did beat Ohio State. But I, I think right. I, I don't know how they get in over Ohio State, you know, all things considered, with having one more on the uh, L side of their win-loss column. Yeah, you got to love what James Franklin's done for that program. Oh, yeah. Coming in on the hot seat, and he just completely turns it around. A lot like Colorado, those two teams coming out of nowhere 
and shooting up the rankings and, and having a heck of a season and they still have a lot to play for. Obviously, a Big Ten championship would be huge. But yeah, you're right. Ohio State, with the resume they have, probably the number two team in the country, basically have a mulligan in that Penn State game. Yeah. They, uh, they dropped it, dropped the ball there, but mm-hmm. they, they've righted the ship, have an incredible way to go out on top against Michigan. And uh, yeah, it's unfortunate <laughs> yeah. that the, the committee put so much on the conference championships, and it's gonna it's gonna be egg in the face this year because they have no choice but to put Ohio State in. Yeah, it's funny how that works. And yeah, and the other thing, you know, Bam is in regardless. They could get beat by forty this week. They're in the playoff game. <laughs> yeah, they're in. Talking with Sean Sullivan on the Money Mitch effect. I'll transition to uh, a topic near and dear to your heart for all the wrong reasons. Tennessee <laughs> losing to Vanderbilt this weekend. Oh. Yeah, it was a tough one, and I'm with you there. A lot of ramifications from this loss, which we know. But yeah. it was 45 yeah. to 34. Vanderbilt wins at home. A dominant win for Derek Mason and his program, and they are now going to a bowl game at six and six. From the Tennessee side, Sully, the number that jumps out at me is 45. Defensively, 45 points. I know your team has been ravaged with injuries. But what made Vanderbilt so successful on offense this game? It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. That's the most points Vanderbilt has scored since 1971 against anybody. It's, it's completely unacceptable. Yes, we've been ravaged by injuries. But I, I, would, I would argue Tennessee's the worst tackling team in, in, in the Power Five. It is unacceptable to let Vanderbilt do what they did. I would just break down the final, final touchdown that they had. Mm-hmm. At least three players had, had hands on him, had paws on him, and it didn't make a difference. He's just running straight through arm tackles, and it was an embarrassing defensive performance. First time Vanderbilt's ever beaten a ranked Tennessee team, too. Obviously, my voice is a little sore. I was at the game, yeah. uh, and it was 80% vault in Nashville, and nobody was nervous. Nobody was nervous even when we were down by one score, but as soon as they scored that final touchdown, everybody was like, all right, maybe, maybe, maybe we should go down and score this time and see what happens. Bush Jones has has a lot of heat. I think it's time to let him go. Ooh, but okay. but it's it's not going two and two against Vanderbilt is, is unacceptable. There's decisions that, that you can point to just in this game. Under two minutes, down by two scores, need both scores, and you go for it on fourth down, basically saying this is the ball game instead of kicking a field goal. And it wasn't a 50 yarder; it was something like a 30 yarder. I mean, that's just an unacceptable unacceptable decision. And then just just going for it and, and kick the onside. But, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough loss going 2-2 two and two against Vanderbilt four years, losing to South Carolina and Vanderbilt yeah. in year four is unacceptable. It's almost like with Kentucky at this point, even with all injuries, the talent is there. You should never lose to this Vanderbilt team, and they did. And what pours salt on the way, too, which you, which you mentioned, the ramifications of this loss, everything fell into place for Tennessee to go to New Orleans and play the winner of the Oklahoma State game next week. Yeah. Instead... We're going to be going to Buffalo and going to Charlotte. And I hear Charlotte's really lovely in January. <laughs> yeah, I think I read that somewhere on uh, Travel Guide. But, it, yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> but a couple of things come, up, come to mind with this Tennessee team and with this game in particular. The two losses, you know, yeah. we lost four games this year. Bama, no one's going to you know, pour salt on the wound there. And that A&M yeah. game, while A&M has kind of staggered, they played you guys tough, and, and that wasn't as bad of a loss. But these last two, two losses in November, South Carolina and Vanderbilt, not a good look, as you alluded to. Mm-hmm. South Carolina game, Sully, they're a team that couldn't run the ball, couldn't stop the run, yet they had success at both. 
I don't know right. if this is your team, the, the volunteers kind of overlooking the opponent, thinking they can get by on talent, but this is FCS football. You can't assume maybe, maybe Alabama, and that's the rare case of a team that dominant with that many good recruits. But by and large, and we saw it with Ohio State against Michigan State, we saw it in some of these other games, you can't just assume that you can get by on talent. Uh, and, and I know, I mean, we talked about, we'll get to the coach in a second in Butch Jones, but I was a, a little perturbed, I guess a little amused, with some of his quotes, some of the stuff he's been saying, the champion of life, uh, oh calling it a season of success. You hope, yep. and this is me talking as a fan now, uh, when you're a fan of any team, you hope that there's some passion there, there's some desire to be the best. I know you want Tennessee to be the best at everything, it has to just irk you when you hear stuff like that, almost settling in a level of mediocrity. Oh, believe, believe me, it looks exactly <laughs> like that to every Tennessee fan. And it's just time and time again, every quote, it just adds up. And <laughs> from refusing to answer any questions about Jalen Hurd transferring yeah. to after South Carolina saying there's still a lot of football to play, basically passing the buck and you know saying, okay, well, we can still have a lot of success this year. Okay, whatever. And then the Champions of Live comment is completely blowing off the fact that this is a disappointing season, period. And I get what's behind that. Of course, the, the tragic bus crash last last week in Chattanooga. The cap, team captains of Bush Jones came down and see the kids. Right. Like, that, that is a Champions of Live moment. I get that, but you kind of framed it poorly. Right. Uh, when this is a disappointing season, and, and, you, and you haven't said that yet, you know? It's just like, oh, we're, we're, we're just basically settling at this point. And yeah. Then, of course... There's three minutes press conference. Most of the press isn't even down off the elevator. And he just walks out after three minutes, leaving his senior quarterback to answer the tough questions. you got to give Dawson all credit. 31 for 34 at Vanderbilt. It really wasn't his fault. He did a he did 31 points, man. That could in Nashville. And Bush Jones, the head coach, is supposed to stick by your players. And he just, he just left him. And, and Dobbs is, is sticking by and being a man. You'd hope that the, the way to frame that question would be something like, I'm, I'm pissed off, I'm upset, this has been a disappointing yeah. season, but I'm still going to stick by my team and I love, and I love these guys. Yeah. Something along those lines, not, oh, we're going to be fine, which no fan base wants yeah. to hear that. No, and it is not fine. We're, we're, we're literally <laughs> a walking, talking version of the dog drinking a bug with the house on fire. Like, it, it, it's saying yeah. this is fine. That, 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 that is basically what it is. He's basically but, I mean, he's basically Kevin Bacon uh, in Animal House, saying every telling everybody yeah. all's calm and all's fine when everyone's running around. And, <laughs> you know, and it's funny. You're right. They'll never probably won't ever be an easier path to a Sugar Bowl game or a or a New Year's Day no. Bowl, and they squandered it. Which leads me to my question: Who's gonna? Who the hell is gonna play in this game from the SEC? It has to be a four loss uh, team I, unless Florida wins. Right, and I think it's gonna be Auburn. Auburn's sitting there, just lost to, lost to Bama. They're going to drop like a rock, but Florida still has to play Bama. Luckily for Auburn, they tell it again. Uh, they're they're going to be sitting on the outside looking in. If Florida wins, obviously they're in. But, yeah, Auburn, Auburn just has to benefit from everybody wow. falling off. And, what a and, mess. Yeah, it's going to be Auburn versus Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. It's unfortunate that we haven't, we haven't been in the Sugar Bowl in my lifetime. The 1990 season, 91 January played a Derek Dooley-led Virginia team. Oh, ooh. That tells you how long ago it yeah. was. Derek Dooley, our old coach, yeah, was, was a tight end on that Virginia team. Wow. Yeah, that's how long ago it's been. The seat is very hot for Butch Jones, but he's not going anywhere. There's no AD, 
mean, we have half of the AD because Dave Hart's on his way out, and the, the buyout's huge. So there's nobody there to make a decision. Way too much money on the line. <laughs> He's going to have another year, and it's unfortunate. <laughs> well, most Tennessee fans, I'd say, I'd say 90% of Tennessee fans are ready to get get, get him gone. Wow, that's uh, that's an interesting number there. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot of Tennessee fans that would like to see him go. A little surprising from the outside, but I'm glad you brought that up. Because now talk with Sean Sullivan on the Money Match Effect. We are going to talk about the coaching carousel. It's already moving. We've already, the ride started. You know, grab your ticket. We're ready to go. Number one, Tom Herman leaving Houston, going to Texas. That's already done. We've already officially seen that move. It was a move story we expected to see. But not without some late drama. LSU claimed their stake in the game. Couldn't get enough capital, couldn't get enough of Tom Herman's interest, what have you. I don't think we're surprised by how it happened, but are you surprised by how fast it happened? No, no. I think uh, Texas is starving for a victory and they have money. Uh, it's a good combination. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice combination to have. You know, they spent $30 million or whatever year in Charlie Strong, so that's nice. That's nice. I wish Tennessee could do something like that. But no, I mean, they're a passionate fan base. Those boosters wanted to see him go, and, and to be honest with you, I don't think Charlie Strong had a fair shake from the word go. Uh, no. There was a lot of scrutiny under that hire. Fair or not, I think he's he's going to land on his feet somewhere and might go to your Ohio State Buckeyes and reunite with Urban. Yeah, um, about that. The coordinator leads for a job. Yeah, I, I, I like to hire. Herman's obviously um, has a lot of Texas ties, but that, that hire's not as polished as it was as it were a few weeks ago. That, that Houston program has kind of fallen off. Uh, a little bit. And I do have a few things to say about that. I agree that Strong never really got a fair shake. The program was kind of in disarray. And people forget how good he was as the Louisville head coach, how good of a yeah. recruiter he was, bringing in Teddy Bridgewater, turning that program around. And, and LSU made a run at Herman, but I don't know how serious it was. And I think for a fact, Sully, that they knew he was gone when they named Oger on the coach Saturday morning. They knew yeah. they were out of the race. They, they don't make that move unless they know they're out of the race. So, Yeah, I think it was one of those things where they were the first they were the first quarter to approach Tom Herman. Uh, definitely piqued his interest, I'm sure. LSU's a great program. But uh, I think money, money talks, and uh, Texas outbid him. And then they're like, all right, well, you won the war. We're, we're going we're gonna to stick with our guy and coach O. That's one of the more LSU moments to get rid of your all-time winning as coach and settle for Coach O, which is, which is sitting as a Tennessee fan having to play LSU next year. I, I don't think he's going to have uh, a whole lot of success down there. Coach O is obviously not exactly the, the most popular among Tennessee fans having being part of that Lane Kiffin staff that left. But also the fact that he blew the game against Florida for us to go to the <laughs> Yeah, that's so, right. He does have Tell the Truth Monday. I think we're forgetting that. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Tell the Truth Monday. Good, good for Coach. Well, he needs to tell the truth and, and, and say he blew that Florida game. But, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that's an interesting move. That's a very interesting move. I think, and too, Herman knew that, you know, what's an easier job, Sully, to go to Texas with these boosters, with the support system in a state that you already know how to recruit in, or go to LSU and have to play Nick Saban every year? Yeah, he obviously was leaning towards going home. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like I like that LSU job a lot. That fan base is is as passionate as anybody out there. Great, great stadium to play in. Honestly, both programs need a, need a little update on on facilities, but 
the thing about LSU that everybody points to is the fact that they're the big dog in the state and one of the most fertile recruiting grounds. It's not Texas, obviously, but it's it's in that B category behind Florida, Ohio, and, and Texas and California. Yeah. It's right. It's right underneath it. They're the one horse pony, right? In that in that show, all the kids grow up being LSU fans. So that's a heck of a job, and Coach O's a heck of a recruiter. So he'll he'll get some talent on that team. It's just whether. Whether to be seen if he can coach him up a little bit. Right, and I think I read per capita they produce the most five-star recruits if you're talking on strictly yeah. the number of football players. Right. Uh, back to Herman really quick. I thought that Houston, mm-hmm. the job crumbled, but he, he had one foot out the door, and you see that too many times. Right. And he's already gone. Yeah. He knew things were going to kind of go against them. The defense wasn't spectacular to begin with. When he got his win to beat Lamar Jackson in Louisville, I think that was his final statement. Everything after that was almost extra credit time. Uh, another potential job opening is or- the Oregon Ducks. We're looking like that's going to happen. Helford appears to be gone. They're getting ready to do a coaching search. There's a lot of names that pique my interest, but if I had to say one, yeah. I'm going to toss out your guy up at Western Michigan, P.J. Fleck. Would this make too much sense or am I talking Fleck. crazy here? Would he be a good fit at Oregon? Yeah, he would. I, I love P.J. Fleck. I love the rah-rah stuff. Uh, it's amazing what he's done to that program. But, yeah, yeah, I think he'll, he'll be able to fit well in Oregon. But I would go to a guy that obviously has some really nice ties and might be out of a job here pretty soon is Chip Kelly. Ooh. Bring it back. <laughs> Let's hear it. Now, Bring I do, it back. Yeah, I do know that Phil Knight is not the biggest Chip Kelly fan, but he likes winning more than he likes feelings. So he would bring him back if the job was right, if Kelly was really invested. I don't know that Chip's ready just yet to leave the NFL. He might give it a little more time. I just think this job, and, and you, know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Sully, but I think this Oregon job is a job for the young upstart, for the flair. You need to you know, be a, a, I don't want to say flamboyant, but you need to have some swagger and some confidence. This isn't your typical job. And I think a guy like yeah. Fleck or a young upstart coach could really thrive in that situation. Yeah, no, I think that's a really, really good, really good point. Yeah, that, that's a that's a that's a young program uh, that that has uh, most of their success uh, relatively recently, um, and yeah, I think that's that's the the flashy uniforms with the, with the flashy young coach running up and down the sideline. Mm-hmm. That would really that would really be fun fun to watch to see see what PJ Fleck could do at Oregon. And before we wrap up this coaching carousel segment. I got to bring up this guy, and uh, it's a rough day for his. I mean, you, you mentioned uh, Butch Jones. It's a rough day, a rough week, rough year for the Brian Kelly coaching tree. Now reports yeah. coming out they go four and eight. Brian Kelly is now through representatives looking at other coaching jobs. I, I'm going to save my thoughts after you share your your opinion. But what do you yeah. think about this approach by Kelly to kind of escape this thinking ship? trying to get Bush Jones to do the same thing. Hopefully, Houston's looking at him saying, hey, let's take Bush Jones. That's, I don't blame him. Jump the ship before before it completely burns down on you. Good for Kelly. That Kelly coaching tree is on fire. And it's, it's not shocking to see that both these guys are, are where they are at. When, it doesn't shock me whatsoever. It doesn't shock me, sadly. When you're... And look, I don't think he's a bad football coach. He's running some bad luck. He might be a tad overrated based on where some people view him on a national level. But my big problem with Brian Kelly is he ran this whole program with his control 
almost in a dictator style. And now when things get bad, he wants out. You know, he's already scapegoated the, the coordinator, so he's already played that card in the deck. And now he's looking for other options. I don't know. I mean, maybe him in Notre Dame wasn't a good fit. Maybe it takes a certain type of guy to coach at Notre Dame, but he's had one year, and now he wants to leave. And I don't know that the organization... It'd be one thing if the administration's getting in his way, if they're feuding, but they've given him every chance to succeed. I don't know one thing, and I am not a Notre Dame fan. I'm not trying to, you know, beef up the Notre Dame uh, spectrum, but this is this to me is just a guy that doesn't want to deal with the consequences of losing and picking himself up off the canvas after getting knocked out. I don't really, I understand why he's doing it, but I can't oh, say wow. I'm a fan that, of his that, character. That sounds, that, sounds, that sounds pretty familiar what we were talking about earlier. with Chris Jones, a little shocker right there. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but wow. you know what, though? Apple didn't fall far from the no, tree right there. it didn't, Sully. But I'll tell you this, though. My rumor, my, uh, my long play is still holding weight, maybe more water than most. Wes Miles. Go to the Golden Dome. Yeah. Oh, that would be so fun. Man, that would be so fun. I remember you brought that up a month ago. Look at it now. It is, it is looking hot. I would love to see that. I would love to see that. Like I said, you know, we first brought it up. Yeah. I would. I, I just can't wait to see where Miles. We're looking for all the dust settles on, on this carousel. That's what I'm going to be most excited about as we sit right now is where Les Miles is going. That dude is so fun to follow. And wherever he goes, he's going to be motivated. He's, he was already campaigning for a job the minute he was gone. How much class he handled the firing. And he said, you know, straight up, like, I'm, I'm looking to coach right now. I think that's, uh, that's going to be a fun, fun aspect of this coaching carousel this year. He's a football guy. That's what he wants to do as coach. He wants to get back in the game right away. If it's not Notre Dame, it's going to be somewhere. And that's the most intriguing thing. There'll be a job that opens. There'll be a job that unexpectedly opens and closes quick because Les Miles is on yep. the table. So I'm with you, Sully, excited to see where he lands. Talking college football with Sean Sullivan on the Money Mitch Effect, and we're going to finish up the show just recapping a few things of the weekend. What a rivalry week it was. We mentioned the Pac-12, Washington mm-hmm. destroying Washington State, getting themselves firmly back in the national picture and then you had Colorado beat Utah to keep USC on the outside of the Pac-12 game. For Washington, Sully, this is a team a lot of people have doubted all year. They had the slip-up at home against USC. But to do what they did, to absolutely throttle their in-state rival, I, the yep. statement game is a cliche, but this is as good of one as we've ever seen. Oh, it's a complete statement game. Two weeks ago, like we were saying, they were on the outside looking in. It's going to be really tough after that USC loss. They climb back into it, and they're square into it. Made a statement in the, on the Palouse. And now they have a chance to go up against a very, very good Colorado team that Butch Jones spurned, actually, <laughs> to bring up Butch Jones again. Uh, and we also spurned McIntyre, their head coach. And, and you've got to give them so much credit. From last place to first place in the division, and a lot of impressive wins. And to top it all off, to get it done over a very good Utah team that was very scrappy, found a way to win. And, and, and that defense is very stout, very, very stout, forcing turnovers to seal that victory over the Utes. But, yeah, I am stoked for Friday night with this game, with this matchup, the Colorado defense against this, this Purple Rain offense. It's going to be fun. You know, Washington, they had to win this game the way they did to really be a factor. If they would have just slept yeah. walked through a victory, 
then the rumblings of two Big Ten teams would have taken, you know, wouldn't have gotten a little louder. And you always, we always hear, you know, you always say it's a rivalry game, throw the records out the window. And that's true, but it, it doesn't really become true, in my opinion, until you get later in the game. What's the easiest way to avoid that? Stomp on them early, and that's exactly what Washington did. Yeah. They said, we're not going to let rivalry be a factor. We are going to beat you early and often, and that's what they did. You know, and then Colorado, I agree. McIntyre, to me, there's a lot of coaches that could be in the coach of the year discussion. He's got to be near or at the top yeah. of the list. They've been so bad for so long. They come around on defense. They come around on offense. I mean, I remember two years ago, Sully going to the Coliseum to watch him play USC, and they gave up 50-plus points to a team that was meddling in the Pac-12, and now here they are with one of the most dominant defenses in the country. I'll say this, though. If Colorado wins this game, wins the Pac-12 title, and gets a considerable amount of help, I don't think we can close the playoff book on them just yet. No, no, they're they're gonna be sitting at nine. They're gonna they're gonna. I don't know how much movement they're gonna be able to get tomorrow night uh, when the playoff rankings come out. But yeah, they, they would they would have to have a lot fall their way this next week. But that would be a very impressive win from Colorado to beat to beat Washington in the title game. Uh, I don't see it happening with this Washington team the way they're playing right now. But yeah, yeah, I think they are in the discussion. If not coach of the year, he's got to be. Uh, 1B for, for, for how much good work McIntyre's done right. down in Boulder. The top, I'm looking at Chris at Wisconsin, the job he's done to turn that program around Franklin, as we said. You know, those yeah. two guys. Yeah, as well. But we'll see what happens if it's going to be Colorado or if it's going to be Washington dancing in the purple rain on Friday night in the big yeah. Yeah. In the, uh, Pac-12 title. I thought that was pretty good. But okay, we'll, uh, we'll move on <laughs> for a second here and talk about Clemson and the ACC. Just briefly, Clemson throttles the South Carolina. Are we still looking at them as a very solid national title contender? Or do you have your doubts? I mean, this is a team that's had its highs and lows. They only have one loss, but at times they've looked great, Sully, and at times this year they've just been okay. Yeah, I think uh, I think you have to have to keep them in the discussion for the title race. They're going to make it, barring a, a tragic loss. Uh, on their end to, to Virginia Tech. Be tragic. <laughs> it's a heck of a team. They, they better know they look the Hokies. But yeah, Deshaun Watson, six touchdown, just t- torching the Gamecocks. That, that was an impressive win. Yeah, to, to blow them out like they did, I, I, I think they got, got a little momentum going into the ACC title game. I'm still on the Clemson train. Uh, it, it all depends on where they fall in the final rankings. But yeah, they definitely have a shot to make it uh, to the title game for sure. Yeah, it remains to be seen how their defense plays down the stretch. It looked great. It's looked great in recent games, although the pit game really did uh, expose some flaws that they have there. Watson is one hell of a player, one of the best in the country. If he plays well, their offense is always going to have a chance to do great things. But we'll see. Right. To and get Mike to th- Williams is a beast, too. It yeah. seems like those, those guys are starting to click together mm-hmm. at the very right time. Mm-hmm. And I want to get your thoughts, too, Sully, on the presumptive Heisman winner, Lamar Jackson, an unbelievable season, but two losses down the stretch. Now, I don't assume, I don't think he's going to lose the award, but are we looking at maybe him coming back to earth a little bit? Yes, certainly. He had a case of trying to do way too much against Kentucky to win that game, and, and it has worked at times, but I was, I was kind of waiting for this moment because every year, or all, all year, he's been, making these moments happen, it will eventually come crashing down, and we just saw it. That OK Kentucky team, 
Offsuits really needed, or uh, uh, Mark suits, excuse me, yeah. really needed that W. Um, that, that, that's a statement W, and that's uh, glaring to see Lamar Jackson not be able to pull that out. It's 100% true to, that he's been able to do that all year, and he is the Heisman Trophy winner, I think. But he left a small window to, you know, guys like Deshaun Watson and Mayfield and those guys. Uh, if they have a huge week next week, maybe something happens, but I doubt it. I doubt it. I think it's still his trophy. It is, and we saw that the team does have a lot of flaws defensively. Uh, he mm-hmm. covers up a lot of uh, weaknesses that the team has. I'm glad this moment happened now. I, I truthfully, Sully, if they would have got to the playoff, geez, could you imagine Bama against him? How bad that could go for, for young Lamar Jackson's career? Oh, my gosh, yeah, you think... see him in the pros not you know on IR but it, right. it's uh you know it's something to say and, and Petrino uh, he did a great job resurrecting this program for the second time mm-hmm. I think he waits one more year I don't think he enters the coaching carousel until Lamar Jackson's done because he's got one more year of college nope. football with him and then next year I think he goes somewhere who knows maybe your volunteers yep. I, I don't know I'm just throwing it yes. out there yes yes <laughs> give me Petrino give me I, I like I, I want it. Scarlet Letter. You'll take that. It. He's currently trying to steal a lot of our, our recruits right now, so hopefully we can swap him the, the other way when we get him as a coach, hopefully. Yeah. I'll cross my fingers anybody. I'll, I'll take I'll take Russ Houston at, at UTC at this point. Oh, wow. All right. We're really, we're really low on the Butch. You're selling all your Butch yeah. Jones stock, stock, I see. Yeah, right, right. Well, and that's how good a Coach Petrino is, is that we, we are yeah. able to just, everybody's able to take the baggage open up with open arms that he brings with right. him. But that's how good of a coach he is. And lastly, Sully, I gotta talk about another highlight of the weekend. We had two teams, two teams score seventy five points, two ranked teams, Navy and Pitt. Navy seventy five thirty one over SMU and then Pitt over Syracuse seventy six to sixty one. I don't know that I can remember this happening, let alone on the on rivalry week last week of the season. I, what's your takeaway from these offensive explosions or just porous defense that we're seeing? A little bit of both. I, I, think, I think that Navy team is, is very tough to play because you only play that offense once. When they're clicking and you have your, your option just zoned in, a defense starts making mistakes, you got to have a really solid defense that, that sticks to stick to their assignments. And if that doesn't happen, they can, they can run, up, run it up on you, as we saw with Georgia Tech and, and Georgia. They just couldn't stop the option. Yeah, and then Pitt, that's, that's a hell of a team, and Nathan Peterman uh, from the ball uh, <laughs> is, is looking really, really good. And then another former ball looks really good, Bradley Ferguson uh, getting a W earlier this week, too. Looking at those scores with basketball season upon us, it might as well have been basketball scores. You know, and it's unbelievable that two offenses are able to throw out that many, that many points. Yeah, it's staggering, and uh, we, I have to offer my condolences to our good friend Ron Schultz. For having to watch that for his Syracuse Orangeman in front of the podcast, that he, you know, his team scored 61 and still lost by double digits in a football game, not a basketball game. But maybe they'll get him. They'll get him back. And I know Syracuse has a heck of a heck of a basketball team this year. So maybe they'll get him back and and, and flip the script on him 75-61 in basketball this year. Yeah, maybe <laughs> he may be. You don't know. And and also one last thing on Navy, Sully. 
with Houston's loss, with Boise's loss. If something were to happen with Western Michigan in this MAC championship game, Navy could get that non-Power 5 New Year's Day Bowl. Could happen. Don't, don't count out the Ohio Bobcats. Oh, Great yeah. Coaches can have those boys ready. And, <laughs> and yeah, Navy, I, w- I would be all over Navy going to a New Year's Six Bowl. And then, not to mention, well, they would have to get through Army first. Is still pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, as well that last week of the season. How fun would that be? Oh. If if uh, Frank Solich somehow finds a way to get the dub over, over P.J. Fleck, that oh. next week, the, the Army-Navy game has a New Year's Six Bowl riding on it. <laughs> Well, so, so you definitely know the keys to my college football heart, bringing up Maction and Army-Navy in the final minutes yeah. of the show. So that, that was definitely a nice twist. And I'm excited. The yeah. possibilities are still endless. Yes, yes. Possibilities are endless. Uh, this, this, this final week is going to be amazing. I'm going to soak it up. The best season in sports is the shortest one, unfortunately. I'm definitely going to sit back and not going to miss a minute of the action this week. It's amazing how quick it goes by. Sure. It seems like yesterday just previewing the season together. Now mm-hmm. it's not the twilight of the 2016 season. Unreal. Unreal for sure. Well, Sean Sullivan, thanks for joining the show. Appreciate you coming on here. And that was Sully, a, uh, a champion of life, but so much more than that. Not just one day. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Always, always a pleasure. Always a good time chatting with Sully about college football. And he's right. It's hard to believe we've gotten this far. The season has gone by so quickly. One second, you're preseason chatting it up with your boy. And then the next, you're uh, answering the door. And Well, it ends right there and it starts right here. A little old school reference, but we'll keep it moving. Good time chatting with Sully. He's going to be back before it's over. we still got a lot more college football to talk with the bowl season and the playoff picture coming up. All right, now it's time to go to Ryan Souls in Chicago. The Soul Man, my college buddy. We're going to talk NFL Week 12 action. Thanksgiving games were great. Cowboys keep winning. Lions on top of their division. Raiders looking good. And Chiefs winning. All that and more. Here now is Ryan Souls on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, joining the program now, friend of the podcast, reoccurring guest, Ryan Souls. Ryan, Soul Man, thanks for rejoining the Money Mitch Effect. Man, I'm so happy to be here, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody, and I hope um, everybody's full and oh, yeah. talks some football. Yeah, man, it was, you know, what was the most interesting to me before we get into it, starting with those Thanksgiving games, Ryan, is it oh. was the first time in almost, I think, 70 years that all the teams were above 500 going into the game, 500 or better going into the game. So we had three really good games on the slate. I know the third one didn't turn out that way, but it was still a pretty good day of football. Absolutely. And I, I was talking to some people at work, and said, this is the first time I can remember in a long time where we weren't punished on Thanksgiving <laughs> for having to watch the Lions and the Cowboys. So <laughs> yeah. it, it was refreshing. You know, speaking of the Lions, we're going to start with that game, the first game of the day. And color me surprised, Ryan, the Lions are in first place in their division going into December as they beat the Vikings. They, again, another game, all their wins this year, they've been tied or trailing in the fourth quarter, yet here they are 
winning again. Now, we can talk about how the Vikings have been collapsing down the stretch for a variety of reasons, but let's give credit to this Detroit team. I don't know how sustainable this is, but what they've done is nothing short of remarkable. Absolutely. It's incredible. It's really good to see the Detroit Lions winning consistent games, winning close games. And I think what really their biggest selling point here is they're 5-1 at home. So they're just a really tough football team to beat at home. I think a dangerous team going into the playoffs. Now this is where I might slightly disagree with you about being a dangerous team going into the playoffs because... I, I really respect Matt Stafford, and I think what this defense, what especially Darius Slay is doing, is mm-hmm. pretty impressive. But they can't run the football. And, can't. I, and I don't know how long they can keep getting by teams without having a running game. Theo Riddick is a pass-catching back. They just don't have it on the ground. And they're fortunate. We, we do have to acknowledge that. Peterson goes down. Bridgewater goes down. Clay Matthews goes down, Eddie Lacy goes down, and here we are. Now the Vikings or the uh, Lions have had to win these games, Ryan, but they've definitely been the beneficiary of some injuries and kind of a fortunate schedule, for being completely honest. Definitely, but I mean, you can only take advantage of uh, the team that's in front of you, and they've done a good job with that. And uh, it was really shocked to see them pull a late game out close because uh, that's just so untradi- or so unconventional of the Lions. Yeah, and how about that stat? I didn't realize it before until the game was over, Ryan, but Matt Prater is perfect on kicks to tire win the game at the end of games. Unbelievable. That's, that's, that's clutch gene right there. I'd say so. I mean, say what you want about the guy, but he makes kicks when they matter. On the other side, Ryan, Minnesota, it, it'd be easy to just say it's Bradford. He, he doesn't have the big game in him, but there are a lot of reasons why this team has struggled. Bradford is one of them. But I keep looking at the fact that we mentioned run game. This is a team with Peterson on the shelf that cannot run the football, and they can't block for their quarterback a terrible combination come December. Agreed. And I think, um, you know, issues like that, not being able to run the football, not being able to protect your quarterback, are only going to become more apparent as we get later and later into the season. So. You know, this is the type of football that's going to be uh, going to need to be played this time of year. And Sam Bradford, I mean, I know we, we can't put all the blame on him, but he didn't have a stellar game. you got to be able to run the football and keep team honest. The way the, this Vikings team started, it's disappointing to see where they've ended up. It certainly is. And before we move on, Ryan, Adrian Peterson, if there's anybody that could come back from a torn meniscus in the same season, it's him. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. They say he's running on the underwater treadmill. That division's still within reach. I don't know what or if we'll see him again, but I wouldn't put it past him. I wouldn't put anything past him. and I stopped questioning his ability when he came back and almost broke Eric Dickerson's rushing record after a completely torn ACL. Who knows? He could be a difference maker down the stretch. And speaking of Thanksgiving, Ryan, I think the game that captivated everyone in the country, the middle game there, Dallas defeating the Redskins, and just a, it may not have been the cleanest game played, but it was a great football contest. 31-26 Dallas wins, 10 straight wins. The Cowboys are now 10-1 and on the season, best mark in football. Where do we start with this team? They're rookies. They did it again. Zeke going for 97 yards and two touchdowns and, and Dak Prescott leading the way. But when you watch this team and you watch this offense, Ryan, we're 10 games in. A lot to like about the team. What impresses you the most with how they approach the game offensively? 
I think it's the balance what impresses, impresses me the most. And I think the reason why they're able to have that balance because of their offensive line. They're great in pass protection. They're great run blocking. And they, it just allows Dak to really play within himself, um, make big plays if he needs to make big plays, but really not turn the ball over, make good, accurate throws. And then, you know, we can already drive truck through some of those Dallas offensive line blocks, you know, those holes that they make. But Ezekiel, when you've got a guy like Ezekiel Elliott running the football, this is a tough team to beat. and It's an even tougher team to beat at home. And I can't remember since Jerry Jones built his shrine to himself, known as Jerry World, that um, <laughs> this team um, ever had a home field advantage. Right, and if there's one owner that's going to let you know when his team's good, it's Jerry Jones, and he's letting everybody know how good his team is. But in all seriousness, Ryan, here's one of the big observations I've noticed with the league. We can say that the product might be down in some ways, and the biggest way that I think the product's down is at the line. Offensive lines are getting ravaged this year. Each team wants edge rushers, wants the pass rush. Maybe they're investing more money, like in Seattle's case, in you know other positions, the lines look weak. Dallas went the other way around. You see a team like Oakland invest in their line, and they're winning games. You have a line that blocks. You protect Dak. You get the running game going. Witten is a great is a great blocking tight end. People don't give him enough credit for that, and it makes everything easier for how the game is run, and it makes the defense on the field less. So I think they have that formula that works. Um, but look, man, if we're being if we're being frank here. Zeke is in the MVP discussion now. It, rookie of the year. I mean, Dak's up there too. But man, we got to start talking about this kid as an MVP. I wouldn't say front runner, but at the top of the list. I agree. I mean, and you know what? I think saying that, I think both of them are in, are in the race for MVP. And you know, and the only reason I put Dak in there is because you know it's a quarterback-driven award. Obviously, Zeke is having just a historic season, but I think Dak deserves a little of the love. I would give. It to Zeke if the season ended right now if I was giving it to a non-quarterback. But I would not throw Dak out just because of how he's playing. Right. And, I mean, what we could do a quick, before we get to the Redskins, a quick mini power ranking right now on MVP. Those two guys are up there. As much as I respect Brady, he still missed four games. It's hard for me to put him at the top of the list with some time left. I got Derek Carr up there. I think he's up there, Ryan. He's in my top four, top five. Yeah, I think Derek Carr is definitely an MVP. You know, and I, I would slightly disagree with Brady being off the field for those four games because I think him coming back and really not missing a beat is just more of a testament, uh, excuse me, to how uh, great of a quarterback he is. But I get that the MVP is a season-long individual mm-hmm. award, so I understand that as well. Uh, but I think it, we still have some time. I think if I don't, and I don't know how many touchdowns Tom Brady has thrown this season, but if he, if he can put up close to the numbers that he had if he had played a 16 game regular season, then yeah, yeah. I don't know if we should necessarily hold that against him. Right. I guess I was saying right now because the last yeah. couple games haven't been all worldly Tom Brady. They've been very good Tom Brady, and I think it's going to take. Just about all worldly Brady to make up twelve, make up four games, but we'll see. But getting back to this game, the Redskins. I'm not ready to write them off as a playoff team. It looks like the division's going to go goodbye here with them losing twice to the Cowboys. But Kirk Cousins threw for over 400 yards against this Cowboy team. Jordan Reed is a beast, 
And defensively, they hung around. They couldn't make the timely plays. I think there's a lot of positives that Washington can take away from this football game. I think there's definitely some positives they can take away, especially from the offensive side of the football. The defense kind of packed it in at the end of the game. And I think Josh Norman actually played well enough on Des Bryant to win the game. Because if you notice, Des Bryant wasn't catching his touchdowns on Norman. Mm-hmm. So I think they really need to shape up the other side of the ball. You know, they got Ziggy Hug and Norman, as I mentioned. But it's not a great formula of winning football games if your quarterback has to throw the ball 53 times. Yeah. He played well. He didn't throw an interception. But that that's not a good recipe. you got to be able to run a football. you got to be able to play defense. Right. Uh, I would say my one counter to, to them not being – you know, viewed upon as a threat in the NFC. Who really is a threat in the NFC? You know, how well, many teams are going to make Especially outside of Dallas and yeah. these, because, and we'll get, maybe we'll get to the Giants, but yeah. I think they're as fake with the good as record, you know, in the league as anybody. I think they're a phony, oh. um, mm. lost team. So, yeah. You know, as far as the Redskins go, they got an offense that can move the ball. They got some playmakers on defense. If they clean some stuff up, who knows? I, they played well on the road on short rest. I think it could work for them. I don't know how far, but last thing I'll say, Ryan, has there been a quarterback since Joe Flacco that's peaked at the right time than Kirk Cousin? Man, is he going to get paid this offseason? Absolutely. I mean, he, he's going to have it at the right time, and it'll be really interesting, like you said, in the offseason to see what his future will be if he stays with Washington, if he you know, ends up trying to get big money somewhere else. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, and I'm all for guys betting on themselves. He didn't pout when the deal wasn't there. He took the franchise off. It was still a lot of money, but it wasn't that long-term deal. And he bet on himself. Yeah, he figured he would do well, and, and he's doing it. So good for Kirk. He'll still talk about Ryan Souls on the Money Mitch effect. All right, let's switch topics now to Sunday. Pardon me if I don't want to get into detail about the Scott Tolzine show on uh, Thursday night, but we'll move over to Sunday now. And there were some interesting games that we need to cover and we'll start with a game that, we'll go to one of the late games, Ryan, a game that was darn near entertaining, to say the least. Raiders beat the Panthers. Raiders now 9-2 and on the season, tied with the Patriots for best record in the AFC. They win this one late. It wasn't a great game for Carr, but he battled injury. He came back. They made the plays at the end. This team is a lot of different things, Ryan, but are you buying the Raiders as a legit Super Bowl team right now? I'm definitely buying the Raiders as a legitimate Super Bowl team right now. I think they're a very dangerous team. I think they're a team that is supremely confident in their ability. And I think more importantly, uh, than last year, you know, we talked about seeing flashes of Oakland. They're winning close games and they know how to finish because they had Carolina dead to rights at a point in the game and Carolina started making the comeback. And Oakland, you know, really stood in there, took the punches and was able to deal him back uh, at the end of the game. Uh, Derek Carter just made a phenomenal throw at the end of the game. So I think this team is dangerous, and I think they're legitimate. Um, they have a legitimate shot at getting into the Super Bowl. And uh, I'm sure you and I can agree on this, that um, we're looking for a tough rule rematch. Here. <laughs> so we can very well see yeah. New England in the playoffs. And uh, I really want to see it happen. Yeah, you know, that could happen. I don't want to, uh, you know play hater to what Oakland's doing. I think they have an offense that can beat anyone that could win a Super Bowl. Love what Derek Carr's doing. Playing through adversity. These are the games they need to win. 
It's the defense, Ryan, and I love Khalil Mack. He made an unbelievable play to win the game yesterday and was a menace all game. Uh, as good of an edge rusher as there is in the league, him and Von Miller are right at the top of the list. And I'd add Justin Houston to there as well. But the secondary, not ideal. Like, and I'm a Ted Ginn fan, you know that, but he runs, he runs one route. You one know route. it's coming on third and long, and they still couldn't stop it. This is still, now they played better. But, Ryan, this is still the secondary that gave up the most yards of all time through two games, 1,000. So I don't, I, I'm still holding out here to see if they're a legit Super Bowl team. The other thing I'll say, Ryan, and we'll get to it in a second, is that division, they're not going to have anything handed to them. There's going to be two, probably three playoff teams from this division coming out. They're going to be tested. Even if they get a bye, that first divisional round game is going to be tough. So while I'm liking what they're set, what they're what they're doing right now, I need to see a little more on defense. That was a four and seven Panthers team that had struggled on offense for a long portion of the season, and yet they still were able to put up thirty plus on them. Right, and as you lose to the schedule, I mean they got at Chiefs, at Chargers, and at Broncos to end the oh. season. And the Chargers uh, are no joke either. The Chargers are no joke. They know they're not making the playoffs. They come out playing sport there. You think the only team in the NFL that has two number ones, legitimate number ones, in receiver? Um, are they the only two? Uh, you know, maybe I do. Denver needs some credit here because I know Manny Sanders is more of a slot guy. He makes some big plays when the game's on the line, and that's one where, where I would consider them in that discussion. But yeah, you might be right. You know, I, I think what they're able to do. Uh, is second to none. But on the flip side of this, Ryan, the Panthers are four and seven. I think we're pretty much closing the book on them. And, and it was more of the same, a defensive secondary that gets pushed around when it matters. And, you know, offensively, not clicking perfectly. Cam did a great job getting them back in the game, but not enough when it mattered, not enough of a running game. And here we are, a team that was so great last year, now all but assuredly missing the playoffs. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, all to your points, just not clicking. And you really can't put this one on the offense, as you said. The defense really just been held up there into the bargain. Cam Newton didn't have an incredible game, and they were able to run the football, although Cam Newton didn't count for many rushing yards, surprisingly. Jonathan Stewart had a good game, again, uh, having his, his day. The offense looked okay, but it's, it's the defense that really seems to be on the Super Bowl hangover this late into the season. So that looks like it could be the end for the Panthers. We were saying that a lot about certain teams this weekend, talking with Ryan Souls on the Money Mitch effect, but two teams we weren't saying that about were the Chiefs and the Broncos. That was a great game. That was an odd game. It was 9-3 at halftime. We didn't know if we'd break 20 points collectively. And then the Chiefs win 30-27 to in overtime. They storm all the way back, down 8 with 2 minutes left. Touchdown, 2-point conversion. Teams trade field goals. Chiefs win it with basically no time left on a field goal that banks in, off the uprights and in for Cairo Santos. And the Chiefs win their 8-3, Broncos drop to 7-4. and four. But, Ryan, there's a lot of storylines in this game. I'm going to lead off with this. That was Alex Smith at his absolute best. We can call him a game manager, but he made some damn good plays to win it for his team. He really did. Marching down the field on that defense, I think it was a 75-yard drive. to march down there. It was really something special. And then the second half, both teams really opened it up, and uh, you would think it was two different games by the you know by the time we played, uh, reached the end rather. Um, but you got to take your hat off to Alex Smith, and um, it's really 
interesting to see how far this team can go. It certainly is, man. Andy Reid has done a good job. How about Tyreek Hill? I mean, the job he put it yesterday. First time someone scored three touchdowns in the manner he did since Gale Sayers, which, I mean, we're both moderate historians. Anytime you're compared to Gale Sayers, you're doing something right. There Absolutely. Is, <laughs> there is another thing there. Houston, what a big difference maker he was on that Chiefs D line. Wow. I mean, that was that was a game changer. But Denver didn't play bad. You know, that's part of the thing. Down, here's how I look at it. That last drive, I mean, we could talk about Benny Fowler maybe going down on this throw Simeon made to put him in, but that was an interesting situation. I don't think he was told, and I don't think he, I don't think that's a situation a lot of athletes would have gone down in that situation. All Denver had to do was get a stop at two points in the game in regulation and in overtime, and they couldn't do it. They gave up too many free yards uh, on penalties during those drives. This is a team that's predicated on defense. I know we Simeon's been up and down. He played great, as good as you can expect yesterday. Their defense has to make plays. They didn't, and it might, probably will, cost them the division now. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I think um, you know, is the defense to blame here, and I think they really are. Because, you know, the first half, the way they were playing, I think Justin Houston and, you know, Bob Miller on both respective defenses really shined, really popped off their screen. But as a team, both teams were playing incredible team defense. And it seems like the Broncos couldn't really hold strong with that in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter. Yeah, defensively, they wilted. But give the Chiefs credit again. They made the plays. It wasn't a collapse. And I don't blame, I'll give you this one. I don't blame Gary Kubiak for trying that field goal. I know it wasn't the high probability play. But give me a coach that tries to go for the win. You know, nine times out of ten, I'd rather take that guy. And I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem with him trying to trust his kicker in that situation. Well, and I agree with you uh, from trying to go, for trying to go for the win. But it's a 62-yard field goal. At that point... Trevor Simeon's hot. Put mm-hmm. the ball in his hands. Try to win it on offense. And because even if you incomplete the pass, or you know, don't complete the pass, you're in the same position. If he completes the pass and gets the first down, the game's over. If he gets eight yards or nine yards or even five yards, there's still more distance that the other team's got to go the other way. Yeah. So I'm definitely for getting points, but I wouldn't have kicked a 62-yard field goal uh, with my kicker, I don't think he's kicked anything over 58. Right. No, that, that's fair. I think the biggest mistake he made was when they got into when they got into field goal range both times, they kind of laid up for it, you know. They didn't really go for uh-huh. it, and they kind of got ultra conservative. But, hey, the Chiefs are dangerous, man. This is a team that they've beaten the Raiders once. They're going to get them again. And this is a team that if they get that 5 six seed in the playoffs, look out for what they can do. Nobody wants to see them in the playoffs. No, absolutely not. But hats off to Andy Reid, Alex Smith, and the Chiefs, and uh, Tyreek Hill, another athlete that probably didn't realize he'd be famous based on some of his old tweets that got dug up, but that's for another time and place. Talk with Ryan Souls on the Money Mitch Effect. We're going to go over some more games from a crazy week in the NFL, crazy week 12. Couple games to discuss, Ryan. The AFC North we're trying to take shape now. The Ravens beat the Bengals, and the Bengals whew, stick a fork in them. They're done. 1914 Ravens win. Steelers won on Thursday night over the Colts. So with that, Ryan, how do you like this division shaping up down the stretch? Two six and five teams, Ravens and Steelers. Who do you think has the edge? 
for the last, you know, 10, 15 years has just been such a smash mouth division. And when we saw Ed Reed and Ray Lewis and Troy Palomalu leave uh, their teams, we kind of saw some of that tenacity go away from that uh, that rivalry uh, between the Bengals, the Ravens, Ravens, Steelers, etc. And I was really, really up on the Steelers, as you know, in the beginning of the season. But I would have to say right now the Ravens just look the best. They're playing the best football. I think Pittsburgh has a higher ceiling, but I think the Ravens right now are a better team. Yeah, look, I think the Ravens are more complete. You're you're. I, we're in 100% agreement there. The Steelers' offense is exciting. It's as exciting as any offense in football. Their quarterback-receiver-running back combo is as good as it gets. But there are holes on that defense. There are holes. Yeah. We saw that Colts game. I know it was lopsided. and then, But we saw the Colts move the ball a little bit, have some success. If Andrew Luck plays, maybe it's a different outcome. I don't know. They're, they're not a team that you can trust week in, week out. And we're getting into the money times. You have a slip-up here. And it could be trouble. But I like what the Ravens did. How about that play, Ryan, where they took the uh, holding penalty to run out the clock? That was genius. <laughs> I think it was incredible. And I, it just really points to uh, Harbaugh being a former special teams coach. Mm-hmm. He knows the rules. He knows the games can end on an offensive penalty. And it was great games. And shit. I just thought it was really cool. Yeah. Well, this is going to be fun to watch. It's a black and blue division. Uh, the rivalry is back. You heard it here first. So Ravens Steelers, five games left. And I don't know if there's two playoff spots. There may be, but it could be just one for this division. So we'll have to see there. Another game I want to talk about, Ryan, and we'll switch conferences here to uh, some teams out in the NFC. The Saints beat the Rams 49-21. to I didn't realize that this was the Sean Payton revenge game against Greg Williams, but apparently that was the case. The Saints put run up the score a little bit, put on a show. I know they're five and six, but I don't know. This is an exciting team, and with the state of the NFC, it wouldn't surprise me if they made a little run here, or at the very least played spoiler. Offense looks to be back. I could definitely see them making a run. Uh, I don't know about uh, making the playoffs that you said, playing spoiler. Um, the offense is definitely back. Drew Brees is playing some phenomenal football. And uh, until you said it, I, ne- I didn't think of it as a Sean Payton revenge game either with Greg Williams being over there with the Rams. Um, because the Rams just have so many other issues. <laughs> that team is abysmal on, on a lot of levels. Yeah. And I think St. Louis was happy to see him go. That's all I got to say. Yeah, but I don't and, think they'll always uh, thrilled to see him come. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, not, not at all. But the Saints are playing some some good offensive football. But you know their 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 trade story has always been can't stop anybody. They got to outscore people or they're gonna lose. Yeah. Well, on the flip side of that too, Ryan, the Rams four and seven. They're not going anywhere this year. And the only two reasons to watch the Rams now for the last five games of the season are one to see if Jeff Fisher breaks the all time loss record in NFL history. I'll be sure to set my tuner for that. But number two is Jared Goff. And I know the Saints aren't great. I know the Dolphins last week was a rainy game. I think he's looked okay. I'll say middle of the road. He's a rookie quarterback. He's going to stumble. But he hasn't been a train wreck. He's looked better than Brock Osweiler. So I I think it's okay right now. Yeah, I think it's fine, too. I think the the worst thing that could have happened to Jared Goff, and I I would never say being the number one overall draft pick is a bad thing, but to go number one overall – to sit while your team plays terrible, while your contemporary rookie quarterbacks, particularly Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz, 
are just having really good seasons, Dak having a phenomenal season, Wentz, you know, kind of having that rookie regression, really playing well as a rookie quarterback considering how the small school he came from. So Goff is being compared uh, to his peers potentially a little harshly. I think you might be looking mm-hmm. at, that, at that with that lens, either consciously or subconsciously, but I agree with you 100%. He looks fine. I still think it's too early to tell. I think uh, the team needs some weapons. Tavon Austin is not a number one receiver. And Todd Gurley just cannot run behind that offensive line. No. So I think if you're a Rams fan, it's a lackluster type of feeling. But I, I would not. I think Jared Goff is in a just fine position. And you know, Ryan, that all rookie quarterbacks progress at different rates. We can't assume that just because one starts the best, they're going to finish the best. So there's time. Let it. This team's not good. They're not going anywhere. Let him develop. Let him get his reps in. And we'll see where we are next year this time. But that's pretty much pretty much all they can do. For division rivals for each of these two teams, Ryan, Falcons beat the Cardinals 38-19. to Here are two things I, I want to say about this game and these teams as we're as we're getting into the season right now. The Cardinals, man, 4-6-1. Could not believe we'd be writing them off this early, but I think it's time. Not only is it their record, but they haven't shown me any reason to believe that they can make a run to begin with. And the Falcons, I thought that we were starting to see all the same old Falcons, but they've rebounded nicely after losing some close, heartbreaking games. Remember, this is a team that could easily be 9-2 if they get the call against the Seahawks and make a couple plays against the Chargers. I like the resilience, the resiliency with this Falcons team. Absolutely. I, I think... Um... We learned a lot from both of these teams with this game. The Falcons looking really uh, resilient. Matt Ryan uh, playing well. Uh, The team's is looking balanced. I think the defense showing up uh, this time of year is helping a lot, too. Uh, uh, Complete 180 for when the Falcons were a year ago. And I think the same can be said about the Cardinals. Uh, Complete 180 from when they were a year ago. And um, it just so happened, it was ironic that these these two teams met at this juncture of the season. It certainly was. Uh, the Falcons probably were happy to see the Cardinals. The Cardinals, without David Johnson, th- this might be a 2-8-1 team or a 2-9 team. I mean, they have completely fallen apart. It- it's stunning to see, maybe more so than the Panthers. Here's another thing I'll say about the Falcons, Ryan, and this is another thing that jumped out to me when looking at the stats of this game. They can win games now when Julio Jones doesn't tear it up completely. He just put up pedestrian numbers and they still won. That, that is a good sign to me. That's a really good sign. I mean, and I think Devontae Freeman is one of the most underrated running backs in the league, and he he's he's a dangerous guy. You gotta watch out for him, and uh, he's kind of a small, shifty guy too, so he can get in behind those big offensive linemen and allows the Cardinals. I mean, excuse me, Falcons to have some balance. And uh, if Julio does have a pedestrian day, they can still win games, as you said, and they won this one handily. They did. And the Freeman-Coleman, Tevin Coleman healthy now, that's a good combination. The Falcons, I don't know who, you know, it's funny. We were looking at challengers, and there's only a few more games we're going to talk about. We were looking at challengers for the Falcons a month ago, and we said Panthers could come back, Saints maybe. We didn't think it'd be this last team, the Tampa Bay Bucks, Ryan. They beat the Seahawks at home, and they beat them 14-5 to with defense. Pretty much kicked the Seahawks while they're down defensively, shutting them out in the second half. The Bucks now are seven and five, just their second win at home, if you can believe it or not, two and four there. 
But they're they're winning this game 14 to 5. They ride their defense in the second half. And before we get to their defense, Ryan, I know the NBA does most improved player. NFL doesn't really do it, but if they did, I'd go Mike Evans, I think. Yeah, I think my, Mike Evans has turned into a, a bona fide number one receiver. Would you agree? Well, I think I, I think so. I think Richard Sherman would agree. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and, and Richard Sherman definitely had his hands full. I will say, though, it was strange that, you know, we saw this, this Buccaneers team have a really good first quarter, and, and a testament to them for being able to finish holding Seattle only the five points. But Seattle's defense came to play really after that first quarter as well because they shut Tampa Bay out for three quarters. And it's just a shame that Seattle's offense really couldn't get on the board and get get the ball rolling because the defense played well enough um, to at least allow the Seahawks back into the game. I agree with that. But when you have an offensive line as porous as Seattle's is, and you fall behind... It's almost like it's a constant state of a green light for that defensive line. You know they're gonna just bull rush you. And Wilson again. I mean Wilson did not play great. Don't get me wrong there, but he's running for his life. And the injury to C.J. Procise, who just started to look like he was realizing his potential as that running back for them. You know Rawls is still banged up. I know Baldwin's playing great, but the Seahawks, Ryan, they could not move the ball. I'm not sold on Tampa Bay. Still, I mean, I'm still doubtful about how they're going to finish the season. But this game showed me the flaws Seattle has. That even with a good record, with a good seed, even with home field advantage, there's still vulnerabilities on this team. There are, and this is not the type of loss that you would expect a Seattle-caliber team to be having this type of this time of year. Right, no, I, I completely agree. In the NFC, that's kind of down... They, they rose to the top based on how smart they all are, how battle-tested they are, but this is a little shocking. We'll, we'll have to see what happens there. Talking with Ryan Souls on the Money Mitch Effect before I let you go. Two more little topics I want to talk about. We'll, we'll lump these two teams together in the pretender-contender topic of this podcast. One from the AFC, one from the NFC. We'll start with the team in the NFC that you pretty much gave away your response to this, but the Giants, are you saying pretender for sure, even with that record? I think they're definitely pretenders. They they beat, um, barely beat a Dallas team from Dak Prescott's first game, Ezekiel Elliott really getting his legs under them. And since then, they really haven't had too many marquee wins. The offense is okay, the defense is all right, JPP starting to look better. But I just don't trust this team because, really, of who they beat. <laughs> you know, yeah, the 0 12 Browns don't really do it for me either. <laughs> no, I agree with yeah. you. And I respect a good close win in any sport, but what I'm not a fan of are the teams that pride themselves and go into the playoffs with, oh, we've won a ton of close games. That means we're battle tested. No, that just means you're playing down to the competition or you're pretty lucky the bounces have gone your way. You see that in all sports. You see it in baseball and hockey and basketball. And now in football, the Giants are a team that's living on the edge. And not, as you said, not living on the edge with good teams. Living on the edge with, you know, the Browns, they needed some distance at the end. The Bengals at the end at home. The Cowboys, Dak's first game. The Eagles were driving late. Yeah, they had any sort of talent. Uh, 
the uh, Eagles were driving on them. The list goes on. I, I would agree with you, but here's the big prerequisite here, Ryan. The NFC isn't as strong, and the Giants are the one team that has done more with less. So if there's one team I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt of heating up in the playoffs, it's them. That's a Tom Coughlin team, though. This is no longer a Tom Coughlin team. True. So we'll, we'll, have, we'll have to see. I mean, Ben McAdoo's untested. And Odell Beckham has had really a, a hell of a year since, you know, his on-the-field issues, mm-hmm. you know, with folks getting in his head and whatnot. But it'll be really interesting to see when things heat up in the playoffs, how they handle adversity, how this offense responds. Um, because the margin of error is just so small in the playoffs, even if the NFC is on a down year. Sure is. That's going to be something to watch because they're probably going to get there. <laughs> the record's too good for them to miss it. So we'll see what uh-huh. happens for Big Blue in the postseason. And then AFC. Got to talk about this team, Ryan. Six straight wins. The Miami Dolphins. <laughs> pretender or contender? I think they're pretenders as well. I've never been high on Ryan Tannehill. And I just I think it's only a matter of time before he does something to give a game away. I'm not taking anything away from Jay Ajayi. I don't take anything away from Landry. I don't take anything away from that defense who's really come on with Sue and Wake really playing good football. I just do not trust this Dolphins team. Yeah, look, it's no surprise. Anybody that knows me or has listened to this program knows that I have no faith in Ryan Tannehill leading this team. But no. I got to tip my cap to how they played. It's been a fortunate schedule, but okay. They, they beat the 49ers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they beat the 49ers and the Browns at home in one possession nail-biting games. So, so yeah. sorry, I'm not, I'm not all there. And I should point out that their big road win, their big road win was in San Diego against probably the worst home field advantage in all of football against Phillip Rivers, who threw four interceptions in the fourth quarter of that game. So, wow. yeah, we gotta, we got to just pump the brakes. They, they're going to get to the meat of their schedule. Tannehill's going to have to make some big throws. I just don't know if he can make them, uh, but we'll see. So that's what we have to look forward to. Ryan, thanks for coming on the show. It was a uh, pleasure talking sports with you, as always. And we're going to have to keep this going, keep the train going into the postseason. Absolutely, man. I had a blast. It was a great weekend of football, and I'm um, happy to come on and recap Special thanks to our two guests on today's show, Sean Sullivan and Ryan Souls. Those guys know the pigskin. It was a pleasure talking to them. Hope to have them back in the very, very near future. A reminder, you can listen to the Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. All the episodes are saved there and downloadable. Just search Money Mitch Effect in the search bar and they'll pop right up. Big thanks to Tim Adams for making the beats. Brian Nelson for the logo. Follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. We still got two more shows this week. We're talking tennis. We're talking hockey. We're talking more football. And we will get into other sports as we see fit. That's a promise from me to you. Money Mitch signing off. Until next time, it's been real. <laughs>